Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, we look over the table from top to bottom, taking in the two-horse title race. Liverpool and Manchester City at the top of the pile. Can anyone challenge them? Probably not. Plus, the ever-increasing queue of clubs looking for a place in the top six and the teams quaking in their predators about the prospect of relegation. It's Manchester United versus Arsenal on Monday night. We look ahead to that, as well as the forthcoming round of Champions League games. Plus, top stories from around Europe and ridiculous red cards. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by JJ Bull. Have you recovered from your potential whiplash, JJ? Yes. Good. It went away. It's Good. Fine. Fight it. Well, so not whiplash after all. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm no doctor, but uh, <laughs> all I know is my neck hurt, which I think means it was whiplash. Okay. okay. That's fine. Now. Good. Glad to hear it. Mina Rizuki, how are you? A challenging morning, Mina. Yeah, it's been a really challenging morning. I, I just feel like I should really just go back to bed now. Okay. All right. Well, let's just get through this. Let's make some good points about football together. It'll all be fine. And finally, Ali Tweeder. What's going on, Ali? Um, well, if we're talking about ailments, mm. I just complain about my back. Please for do, a bit, yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. I've been told I don't have a I have a back that is older than it should be. Oh no! Yeah, really bad. I feel wow. like this is it's the really old people painful. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get the average age down a bit. We need the boy wonder back as soon as possible. Let's talk about the Premier League, and we're going to split the show up a little bit today into some sort of early season thoughts. We've had seven games. For most teams, um, so we're going to we're going to group all the teams into three categories, uh, and the first is the title contenders. I think it's not a controversial thing to say there are two title contenders at this point: uh, Liverpool, and Manchester City. Liverpool found a way past Sheffield United on Saturday. JJ wasn't an especially convincing game, but is this the mark of title winners to get it done when you're not playing particularly well? I mean, yeah, that's the. That's the cliche. Are they riding their luck a little bit though? They've they've not looked sort of rapturous much this season. I think they're just that good. They're just that good, and they've got loads of confidence, which you can't. I mean, that's something that's been built over years and years, and they're just very, very good now. I don't know what else you can really say about them. They've got everything in place. Um, Salah should have scored, didn't? But you think once he's scoring more, and he still, I think, scored four goals a season already. Like he's not even playing badly. I don't know. The, the only team that's close to them is definitely Man, Manchester City. Sheffield United were really good until, I mean, it was the mistake by Dean Henderson that obviously let the goal and let them through. And were it not for that mistake, it might have been that they then, those games are the ones that always end up 1 0. You know, you have to dr- grind them out all the way through. But uh, they're getting their luck as well. And uh, that's, I think when teams get that luck, which you make by being confident in the first place and having more of the ball and just kind of going for things like that, that. 
they'll be in a good place later on. I'm still I'm still holding on to my uh, theory that they'll have a little slump in January, February. Yeah, seems like it could be in the post for them. What did you make of Sheffield United? Mean are a little bit unlucky, a little bit. Could they feel a bit hard done by? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Chris Wilder is a is really a superb coach. I think their movement. Um, is really stunning when you watch it, especially how hard they work off the ball, how much they work as a collective in in terms of giving everyone sort of like um, the way they move always gives options for everyone to pass. And I think that it's so well, it's so cohesive, it's so fluid. Everyone knows exactly what they were supposed to be doing at all times. But unfortunately, when you do play a big team and Liverpool are sort of becoming the biggest in Europe now, um, you are going to concede a few chances and they are going to convert some of them because they are the, one of the best teams in the, in the world right now. And so I do think you have to earn your luck. I do think they come across as intimidating. You can see that if, if Sheffield United ever conceded the possession in the middle of the field, it was like, oh my God, I have to track back and make up for that error. I have to do something. And they did such a, they made such a great performance. And for a newly promoted team, for me, they're I think they're my favourite to watch. John Fleck is quite good. Yes, he is. And good. it's weird that he's done that because he was in Scotland. He was talked to like as like the next Wayne Rooney because <laughs> he looks a bit like him. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's all it was. I also think I know we talked about these overlapping centre backs. It is actually quite exciting when you see one of them going a little run. Like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. yeah no, well, nothing's happened, but it was good while it lasted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not helps really when your goalkeeper makes a honking clangor, though. Um, not the not the only one we saw this weekend, but we will get onto that later. What about Manchester City? We will uh, turn it over to Sam Wallace to hear about their game against Everton. This felt like an emphatic victory for City by the end, but actually there were chances for Everton during the sort of uh, ebb and flow of the game where um, if things had been different, if they'd been much more clinical than they were, then then perhaps they might have got a draw or even better. Um, I felt that. It, after they came back into the game really well after Gabriel Jesus gave City the lead. Um, there were chances at 2-1, uh, one for Dominic Calvert-Lewin um, and another for Yerry Mina, both of them brilliantly saved by Edison, who, along with Riyad Mahrez, was, really was the key man for, the key men for City. Rather, um, I felt that what City did so well was to compensate for their clear vulnerability, which is the Otamendi-Fernandino partnership. Uh, Fernandino was culpable for giving the ball away for the the, the goal that Everton did score, um, but they when they had the chances they took them. They didn't take all of them. I mean, Sterling missed one that um, he would normally put away, but in the end they 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 were clinical and Everton weren't, and that was the difference. I think um, in terms of the, the sort of key action in the areas. Of course, City are always going to have more of the ball. They're going to create chances, but there are periods of the game where, especially when the opponents are at home, when when chances do come and you've got to take them, Everton didn't. Yeah, as Sam said, uh, Riyad Mahrez, brilliant for <laughs> Manchester City. Ali, is he a better option for them than Sane at the moment? Uh, yes, yeah, seemingly. There were a few problems with Sane, weren't there? Maybe with his attitude and Pep has said that um, Mahrez needs to react better to uh, not being picked uh, this season and he has been doing that. He just seems like his attitude is better. Um, he's putting in a bit more work and... Uh, he's kind of realised that he can't be the main man like he was at Leicester. He needs to kind of submit to some other players. I thought that the way he kind of like charged down the right wing for the first goal, checked back and then just played a really boring, simple pass to Kevin De Bruyne in that perfect position for Kevin De Bruyne was just uh, was just quite indicative of that. It was just uh, uh, really, really good. But yeah, City, uh, really, really great. Um, had quite a an, an inevitable feeling about it, this result, even even though Everton were very good, it did always feel to me like this was one of those games, like at the beginning of last season when they kept winning late on. This just felt like a game that they would eventually win. Yeah, 27 goals for them already this season, which means they're on course for about 130. Is that going to happen, Mina? Can they keep it up? I don't know whether they can keep it up, but I I certainly think they can score over 100 goals. Um, I don't know if they can reach 130, but... Their plan A is so good against certain teams and especially against because I thought Everton really matched them. Um, I thought they were excellent. The difference between the two sides is obviously the quality of the players at Manchester City. Edison is better than what um, what Everton have than Pickford and Calvert. Lewis is better than, you know, he's not as good as the other forwards that you have for Manchester City. It was really just the difference in quality between the two because I think tactically it wasn't such a, uh, you don't see like one team being so superior and one being inferior. But I do, 
what I love about this is Mara's defensive side of, of his game. I think that when you have such a good side, plan A, which Manchester City obviously do, and they can just blow teams apart, sometimes there's always been this case of, okay, what if they come up against really vertical, fast-paced teams that we've seen them struggle against? If everyone puts in the kind of shift that Mares did and coming back to win back the, the, the possession, much like you know Gundogan does, but he's doing it from a forward position. If everyone does that and always works hard, I really think Manchester City can blow away most teams. Most important question of today's episode, JJ. What about Man City's third kit? Lurid, <laughs> neon, orange and bright yellow. I'm going to say it, a disgrace. I'm all for it. Oh, no, no. no of course not. you did, are. Did Barcelona have one that was seen? Yeah, they did and it was equally awful. Yeah, it was absolutely terrible. What, what is that drink that it resembles? Like Sick. Gatorade. No, it's like a cocktail you'd get on holiday. Yeah, like a tequila sunrise <laughs> exactly. sort of thing. Yeah, okay. that's it. Exactly. Yeah. They, they could play that and they can come out to tequila sunrise by the Eagles and we would all have a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful future yes. Premier League has can got. I, can, I, can I just talk... I'm always, I've kind of already alluded to it, but can we just talk about that Kevin De Bruyne cross, which we've seen happen so many times. He's basically, he's basically trademarked that cross, which... Uh, Ericsson used to do for Ali at Spurs, but now Kevin De Bruyne has just perfected it. I imagine he just practices that over and over and over and over again with Jesus or um, Aguero just running onto it in exactly the same position. It must just be a dream for, those, for the strikers. Is there any way to stop that? God knows. It would have to be closing down the first man because it goes across you because you have to be in a line across the defensive, like, across the defensive line. So there's not really any... Unless you've got someone really tall who can head it away... But you kind of have to watch the running behind because as soon as the ball goes, the boy runs in behind the last man. There's not really a way to stop it. Man mark Kevin De Bruyne? Can that, be, can that happen? Yeah, but then someone else pops up. Yeah, <laughs> got Maris. Yeah, yeah, true. Yes, they are quite good. Let's move on to some other quite good teams in a section we're calling Top Six Wannabes. Leicester City, absolutely rampant against Newcastle, um, helped by a red card along the way. Surely, correct decision, right? The red card? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no question about it. Just a rush of blood to the head from Hayden. Really weird that he looked surprised that it was a red card. Yeah, some of the players ball. around him looked surprised. Yeah. Like, I mean, Do you ridiculous. know what? He lip-breed him as well. He was going, what's the point? What's the point of playing? What's the point? <laughs> that's what he was yelling. He was going off. Like, you, like, you moron. Like That's exactly the kind of person that you, you that ruins playing five-a-side. Yeah, 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 yeah. It ruins playing Sunday League. And he's playing at the Premier League. And it's just like a hack. Here he comes in, going straight through, like with a straight leg, right into the boy's uh, shin. Uh, Pratt's so lucky he didn't get his leg like cut in half with that, and it, like, absolutely disgraceful challenge. No place for it. There's having aggression in your play and being determined in that, and then there's just been a bit of a thug. And I thought it was, I mean, I wasn't banned for several games. It's so poor to have that in your. It was really, really bad. But um, Leicester were just better from the start. Um, the red card helped, and but I just didn't see any way Newcastle would uh, get anything out of this game. It wasn't in. There was no kind of obvious game plan apart from maybe nicking something on the break. Ah, um, but that is the game plan. Leicester, that but, is the game plan. But that... Leicester were just Leicester did just completely dominate and just completely played them off the park. Yeah. Um I just yeah, they were they were really, really good and good good bet for top six. Yeah, especially in midfield and Didi Madison and Tielemans. I think you can make an argument there. That's a better Midfield and possibly, well, certainly Man United. And, and, they, did this without, United. and they did this without Madison. Yes. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Madison, who's truly, a, I think, my favourite player in the league. Um, do you like Leicester under Rogers, Mina? I do like them. I think that also it goes to show you just how important having a great midfield is. It's, and, and they have those vertical edge, obviously. And, and Jamie Vardy, he explains that he doesn't partake in any of the build-up. He's just there to to sort of convert the beautiful chances that they do create. And that midfield is astonishing to watch. But I think it's a lot better than Manchester United's. Um, obviously, Pogba is, is, is a great talent. But when you're looking at what they have and the balance that they have achieved in midfield is, is exceptional. But I don't agree that they're better than Chelsea's midfield. I think Chelsea has another great midfield. My issue with them at the start of the season with Chelsea was I didn't know whether they had enough going forward um, in the sense that we didn't know whether Tammy Abraham was going to do it. But he's obviously been great. Uh, but when you think of Jorginho, Kovacic, Kante, Mount, Barkley, I think that's a little bit better than Leicester's. Yeah, let's move on to Chelsea now. They wheeled out some of the old boys to beat Brighton. <laughs> Pretty straightforward win for them, Jojo? Uh, yes. Yeah, like Chelsea are very good going forward. I think um, I've not properly gone through all their games to work out how they've changed the way they transition to 
their defensive shape afterwards. But you know, at the start of the season, they were leaving themselves well open. Um, but like Mina's saying, I think that, that midfield's very just I don't keep saying they're good because it's not very good they're analysis they're an accomplished <laughs> midfield yeah they are and um, I think Tomori's been really good in defence I think that's having that uh, dependable backline is really important I think Abraham is I think you can see him getting better with each game I know he missed a couple of chances like in uh, last week as, as well but having players like Willian and Pedro to put back in your team so you can swap it around especially with Champions League coming up is dead important it's good at Mounts getting game time every single week Marcus Alonso's getting in the teams. Lampard's clearly thinking about his whole season-long approach, not just giving minutes to the same players every single week. Brighton, after that good start, have started to fall away a bit. The magic's kind of gone from... They look a bit like Brighton of last season. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that might be because the players are roughly the same. (laughs) (laughs) There's only so much you can do as a coach if you can't get new ones in. I think Potter's shown in the past that he's, he's a very talented coach and will know how to drill them and make them do what he wants but if you don't have the players good enough just like Newcastle like Bruce I think the game plan was kind of clear like he what, what to do but this is the players are just terrible so what are you going to do <laughs> what about Spurs Ali a much needed Wait, hold on we have to talk about Mason Mount please talk to me about Mason Mount no I was just saying you know when we were trying to compare midfields as yeah, well yeah. um I was saying that he's kind of the, the, the piece of Lampard's game. I feel like his whole tactical strategy revolves around him. And when we talk about Ndidi, it was Ndidi that he robbed of possession when he scored a goal against Leicester. And he has that 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 desire to always press from the top, you know, to always press players like uh, Coquelin or Ndidi or um, just like he did, was it yesterday that they played? Saturday. 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 Oh my God, I've lost all my bearings. <laughs> um, and, and to win back possession and fight from the top. And I'm just trying to imagine Chelsea without Mount, but right now I honestly cannot. And I feel like this player has become so vital to Lampard's strategy, at least from an attacking point of view, that I wonder where they'd be without him. He's a bit like Lampard, even in the way he plays. And one of the things that I think is interesting from looking at uh, his, his old Derby team is that Derby used to take a lot of shots from outside the box, so their two uh, wide forwards would come inside and shoot from at 25 yards. I think they had something, some nuts stat, I can't remember what it was, but they just had to take loads and loads and loads of shots outside the box. And they'll do the same thing, I think like Barkley and Mount, those boys like to run with the ball and then shoot from distance. And it does get you get loads of opportunities from the little help Rebound. a defender or yeah exactly and second balls off the keeper and stuff like that. That's nice. that, that yeah, I, I find him so essential for them that you know for example when he was taken off against like against Valencia and then they bring on Pedro, and you just think no one really understands how to link up the play more than this kid does, and it's astonishing how far and how much he's done in such a short space of time at the start of this league. Yeah, looking pretty rosy for Chelsea. What about Spurs? Uh, a, a difficult couple of weeks for them. It's fair to say, lost to Colchester on penalties, which um, we, let's won't, face we it, won't talk about. It's, it's quite Aww. funny. Uh, <laughs> but a much says needed... neutral journalist, Ali <laughs> <laughs> but a much needed win for them against Southampton. Um, is there still a bit of a sense that things aren't quite right, Ali, or is this the sort of win that you know gives Spurs a bit of a second wind? Uh, I don't know. I I don't know if there's a feeling that things aren't quite right. Um, it, it seemed it, that the mood on Saturday in, in what was in the papers and kind of in the build-up to this game, people have gone quite heavy on kind of potch out, basically. Not saying get him out, he's been awful, yeah. but just the sense that it was reaching the end For of his, its yeah. But there there are a lot of fans like uh, like that, but I I do think that anyone sort of slightly reasonable would give him a f- like free reign. Just uh, there's. There's no point doing anything stupid. Um, it did feel, uh, yeah, like a big win, um, especially in the circumstances, having gone down to 10 men and conceded that awful goal. Um, on the on the red card, I, I thought it looked like it was a bit harsh at first, but then when it's Serge Aurier, you've got to kind of think, well, it's probably his fault. Um, uh yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a big a big win. Uh, Harry Kane just absolutely monumental. Um, it felt like the Harry Kane team that Pep Guardiola talked about all that time ago. Um, it was it was all him basically uh, doing everything from front to back. I, I think it's, it's there's a lot of things to be taken as a positive. The way that sort of Yoris came back from his mistake and then started performing these like heroics afterwards. I thought on a mentality level, it seemed like all of a sudden when they went went down to ten men, they all of a sudden had this desire to be like, you know what, we're not gonna we're gonna not be this team. We're gonna do something really special. Yeah, and that has that has been one of the criticisms recently is that um, when to- we whoa, whoa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> edit, get edit, out, edit. Um, Tottenham have become uh, too brittle, and there isn't that kind of like desire that we saw in that battle of the bridge where. 
they behaved despicably, but it, that you could tell they wanted to fight for Poch and it f- didn't hasn't really felt recently like that. Yeah, but I think there's still a long way to... to uh, and now you to don't have to worry about Serge Aurier because he's going to be suspended for the next game, so no longer yeah. a defensive liability in God that God knows match. what happens there. Though. Can Harry Kane <laughs> play right back? <laughs> <laughs> He'll give it a go. Moussa Sissoko was good there. He yeah, was good. Go. What about Hugo Lloris, talking of defensive liabilities? Have you got any defence for what he's doing there, JJ? You're quite a fan of playing out from the back, but oh, that, he's is, that just is dumb, made a isn't mis- it? He just made a mistake. Have you, have he's you, done it before, though. He's done basically that yeah. identical thing before. I have a slight defence, if you're really scraping the barrel, yeah. um, that he, he kind of said in his interview after the game uh, you have one fewer player he looks up and he doesn't see the exact shape that he was meant to see then he hesitates and that happens and you can't do that but there's not much of a defence really you should just boot it he's, he's missed the ball I mean if you I think if he'd managed to hook the ball with his foot because that's what he's done is just miss it he's kicked the air and he'd been okay you shouldn't be attempting a turn like that. Ah, anyway, I like it. I'm all for it. I, I, I quite liked it too, actually, no, even though that would kill me if it was my team, but I liked it. And that's Southampton's only goal in that game. I know it's only 2 1 that Spurs won that. But Southampton, um, their problem is just a weird thing to look at, but they're, uh, they keep outscoring people for XG in games, but don't convert these chances. So they should be higher up the table than they actually are and should be winning more games than they are. But is that because the strikers aren't good enough or I don't know if it's the model is broken <laughs> or if that... Or eventually it will come good. Well, that's the thing. But how long do you... Yeah, because yeah. managers like... And Hasenhuttle clearly... Like, I think he's great the way he, he transformed them after Mark Hughes. And whether... If they're still down the bottom and then the people in charge of the club think, well, we've got to make a change now so we you can get the momentum come back in to try and survive relegation. But it would be a real shame because... There's only so much you can trust the data before it becomes a mm. problem. But Ericsson was great. Sorry, just yep. throwing it out yep. there. Maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's decided to stay after all. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, in the top six wannabe section, Bournemouth and West Ham played out a two-all draw. Both teams with, uh, you, could, you could safely say they're looking upwards. They've got every right to look upwards and be targeting big things this year. West Ham unbeaten in their last six now, Mina. Um, Pellegrini proving his pedigree. Yeah, absolutely. I don't like the way that Bournemouth scored their second goal um, on a defensive level. I still think there are lots of chinks in this armour. But you know how we were speaking about how midfields make the difference? Obviously, we're seeing that with Leicester. Um, and I think West Ham is another one like that. I think they're, what they're doing now is that they've always kind of been a team with some individuals that were very good, but not necessarily had the cohesion. And I think now the way that they're playing... Um, it's more like a unit. They're always providing options for one another for the past, so they move together in unison. And I think that positionally, they're they're making the most of the space that they have to work together. And and I think it's making the difference. I think Man United should go all in and buy Callum Wilson from Bournemouth. That's the answer to their striking problem. Do you think he has everything in his game? He's twenty seven, like peak age. Uh, he's young in English. We say, well, he's not young, he's English, but youngish. How, how much would He's he in cost? his prime, to be honest. It's, it's I mean, perfect 60 age. million, 70 million, something like that. You'd think Bournemouth couldn't turn down over 50, could they? Because they'd need the money. But they'd have to pay extra because there's Man United tax. But he is everything that they, everything they should be looking for. Um, and he's sort of available. And the biggest thing for him is that he's still at Bournemouth. He's not played at a higher level, but he can prove that he can score at Premier League level. So... It would just be a natural step for them to buy, but I mean, the way that it looks at Edward buys things, you'd need them to move to, like, I don't know, Barcelona some, first. Barcelona yeah. first, yeah, and then Not do 400 that well. million in five years' time. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a good deal. Let's wrap up the rest of the Premier League from the middle all the way down to the relegation places. Pretty desperate from Newcastle Alley at Leicester. The whole mood there just seems permanently downbeat and gloomy, despite um, the fans sticking with the team. Is there any way out for them at the moment? Is, is Bruce just completely doomed, do we think? Yeah, I, I think he is. Um, I didn't, don't see any way out. Um, I, I think the feeling I got during uh, Leicester's, Leicester's win over Newcastle yesterday was that you had two managers that had had interviews where one had gone in and said, this is exactly what we need to change about this team and I'm going to get them playing this way. Yes, which one that was. And another one which went who went in and was Mike Ashley's best mate. And has just, um, I don't think he has a plan, uh, a really um, much of a game plan. And if it is just to sit back and hopefully get something, 
then you need to have something more expansive, more interesting, more palpable in the home games. They were just the same team against Brighton uh, last week. I, just, I just totally disagree. I think really? he's got an exact plan. Yeah. So they've got Joe Ellington there to hold up. Um, all his touches are in the middle of the, the pitch, basically, to try and get the ball to him, and he links everyone else in. Because then they have Atsu, it'll be, um, um, what's his name, St. Maximin, will be there, who's absolutely rapid as well, on one side and Almiron on the other. So they can just break with a 4-3. So it's kind of what Leon were doing last season. So you defend with a 5 at the back. You've got two kind of hardy midfielders, Longstaff and Hayden shooting that team, maybe Shelby or something. Then you've got a front three. So you attack with wing-backs when you go forwards. You've got your width. And then that would be where Matt Ritchie should be, but he's injured, obviously. And then you've got uh, three forwards who are pacey. And like teams hate playing against that. Because you're sitting back, you encourage the opposition defensive line to move towards you. So you've got, pace in, you've got space in behind to knock them in. Sure enough, like so they beat Spurs, right? <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I think, how? I think you tweeted how. How? But that's how they they, they sat them Great back, spacing behind, took advantage of one mistake and got in. There is nothing that Bruce is doing. Uh, this is this is very Sam Allardyce territory, so I'm being careful. <laughs> but there is nothing that Bruce is doing that Rafa Benitez didn't. It's the same style of setup. It's the exact same style of counter-attacking defensive football. It's just that I think what Benitez maybe did last season, which got him more points was that he gave players individual little rules that they didn't try from game to game that made a difference and maybe the setup was wrong against Leicester he went with a, a back four rather than a five uh, obviously it went I mean it didn't work once um, Hayden was gone but I think when you're playing for a team like that and your whole plan is getting to nil nil to 75 minutes and then pushing for a bit if you go one or two down, you're like, well, that's us. Like, we're goosed now. What are we going to do? And I think you can see the mentality of those players. And that's what Bruce is disappointed with. But that's a problem, isn't it? Because you can be set up and have that plan. But if, if it's not being executed and if, if the players look so downbeat and, as Bruce said, surrender, then there's a problem. But, you know, you're beating, like, Leicester are a great team. They're a top four team. And yeah, so once I, I think it's a little down, bit unfair to compare them to because also yeah. you have to, you're giving Bruce a much harder task than what Brendan Rodgers has. He walked in, everyone was commenting on what a lovely atmosphere in the King Power Stadium <laughs> it was. And then how nice it was. And there's something really special about this team. And it's a team that had won the league, you know, not that long ago exactly. They have a management team that's on board with trying to get somewhere that's ambitious, that's happy to help their coach, that's happy to provide support. And then you're walking to another side that's still crying over Rafa Benitez when it comes to the fans, who everyone hates the president. And then you have to some, and you've lost Iosi Perez, you've lost goals, and you have to somehow get these bunch of guys to feel motivated to achieve what exactly? To not be relegated, if basically. If you're a Premier League manager, you should be able to do that. Yeah, and I think that I, yeah, but I, mean, I think all still... we can ask of him at the moment, unless you're looking at the very top tier level of, of coaches, I think what, all you can ask for him is to have a strategy to communicate it effectively. But I think there also has to be a little bit of understanding as to why I, he's I just played. think this is a club that should be fair enough. I, yeah, I totally get what you say about the game plan against Leicester and Spurs. Yeah. I, un- I understand that. But then when... You should in the home games. You should be looking to dominate a little but bit more. They're but they're big, worse. Their players are worse. The team is worse than the team they're playing against. Almost every, they're worse than almost every single team in that league, and they should be looking at the bottom bit of the table. So I think if you open up and go for it, you end up getting you lose. Uh, you can make a mistake, and you lose one nil, two nil. If you open up that way, if you make sure you're solid and don't lose, there's a chance you get like against Brighton. It was, bo- it was brutal to watch, but they managed to get that point that they sort of needed because they'd lost it. I think that's far worse than had they gone to win. And I don't know what I'm saying here, but it's important they got the point out of that. I know that you're saying about the motivation of your Premier League manager, but if you put Jurgen Klopp in charge of that Newcastle team, do you think, honestly, they'd be any better right now? How long would it take him to get them up? Uh, well, I mean, not, Im- not immediately, but... Uh, Bruce has had seven games? Like... If, if Jurgen Klopp came in, it would take him. I think a whole. You look at it went to Liverpool. They finished eighth first year. You think, well, he should be more motivated in these certain sort of games. But it, he bought better players and then slowly got them better. I mean, Bruce has just got them trying to make sure they don't lose first of all because they are bad. <laughs> yeah. I should, we should say, to be fair to the fans as well, they sang for yeah, ninety minutes amazing. yesterday. Yeah. Was, that was amazing. Some of them took their shirts off. Marvelous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about Wolves? A first win for them, clearly a big result for them. Uh, astonishing, they hadn't led in a game all season, but they beat Watford, who have now conceded twelve goals in Kike Sanchez Flores's three league games. What does the old new manager need to do, Mina, to sort them out? Um, let's see, twelve goals. I mean, honestly, my issue is is play a high line but then you don't press the ball. I don't understand. So there's no pressure on any of the opponents. Um, 
they have all this time to dictate Wolves from the midfield. And they're not necessarily a side that really even need to do that. But I don't understand how you are not tighter when it comes to to marking, how you're not tighter in trying to not concede space. Uh, Moutinho was allowed all this kind of control and no one was trying to shut him down. And then you're also playing the high line, which you're running a risk if you're not a, if you're not defending from the front. So I think there's, I don't know whether this is just the beginning and hopefully Flores can find a way through. But it looks to me like there's so much disorganization at the back, which I, I'm quite surprised by because I think that you know, the rules are if you do want to take these risks, then you have to at least attack from the front. And I don't see Watford having that desire or or determination to really act as a unit and press from the front and try to win the ball and, and try to take control of the midfield. They seem to be very happy to be like, all right, well, like, let's see what you can do. And here's all the time and space. Moutinho, you choose where you're going to deliver that pass. And that was strange for me. Like a lot of that's to do with shape as well. I'm not saying that I would know more than Flores. That's <laughs> just an idiot on a podcast. But uh, they, they line up with a 4-3-3. And against a 3-4-3, which is essentially what Wolves play, it gives you loads of problems in different areas. So in defence, that should be a 4-5-1. But the left side of midfielder would be Gerard Dillefeu. Dillefeu. Thank you very much. So he should be supporting Holovas at left back. Because when Wolves go forward, they've got Adama Traore and Matt Doherty on the right, and Doherty and uh, Traore, they, they, they split. So often one will go wide, one will go inside. doesn't matter which one it is. They, they split around like that. That gives you a 2v1 versus Holovast the entire time. So straight away you're in trouble there. Exactly the same on the opposite wing. Then in the middle of the park, you've got Tom Cleverley and Kapui trying to get close to Moutinho and Dendonker, who are so good that they can pretty much just find the yard space, move it out wide, and then they've got 2v1 in wide situations. So I think it's odd that Flores went for that kind of that shape in this game, considering that it should probably be in more of a flat five rather than a three. But also, most teams who play against Wolves who aren't as good as Wolves change their shape to a back three. Like even Chelsea did it. And that's how they got their win. A lot of teams do that. And that might be a misstep. Bit of a worry for Watford, isn't it? Because the promoted teams all look pretty capable this year. And it seems at the moment like a league without a clear whipping boy. And they mm. are in danger of becoming that boy. Brighton might be that. Yeah, well, look, yeah, we've, we've had a bit on Graham Potter. Oh, and we are that. slightly running out of time. So we're going to have to <laughs> skip over them. But Brighton will live to be discussed another day. What about Palace, though? I just want a quick word on them. Uh, unbeaten at home since April, albeit against Norwich, who've got about a million players injured. Roy Hodgson, just quietly, uh, very, very good manager, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I guess he uh, does that kind of thing that we were discussing earlier of trying to keep it nil-nil till 75 minutes. Um, And he's got Palace so, so, so well drilled now. Um, Their problems last season were at home and it was a way that they would win and be so much better. And he seems to have fixed that. Um, they're getting results both at home and away. Uh, so, yeah, good times. It's a good regimented um, sort of team and, and they work so well in defence. They've conceded what only once now in four games. So really quite, uh, I, I like a team that has a plan at the back. They've got a tough run coming up. So, uh, yeah. Is it over then? Uh, yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Good bet for 12th. Come on, 12th. <laughs> Let's talk about the Monday night game between Manchester United and Arsenal. Uh, looks like Greenwood might start for United, uh, holding Bellerin. Bellerin? Bellerin. <laughs> no one's ringing any bells. And Chiarantini, all available for Arsenal, could be a better defence for them. Um, who, who is this game more important for? Who's under more pressure? It seems like a good chance for Arsenal to end this long wait for a win at Old Trafford. Uh, I'm really excited for this game. Although it's not the two powers of of yesteryear, I think it's going to be uh, very interesting for a few reasons. Like which manager comes under more pressure? I think Solskjaer is. I think he's fine because the club seems to be. He's got that thing where uh, the the fans love him. So if they can see that there is a plan they're working towards, he has the time to get there. Whereas Arsenal fans seem to hate Emery, um, even though like they they're not that much worse or better than they were under Wenger. That as though they can't that's see the, how that the, takes so long. That's the problem. Mm. It's impatience, and uh, they they want something some change. But it's been the same forever. I mean, they're finishing yeah. the top four all the time under Wenger. Like it's not good enough. Like yeah. what the hell do you want? Ars- so, Arsenal fan I spoke to recently said he wanted Mourinho. <laughs> if, honestly, if if I was Arsenal, I'd want that's Mourinho. crazy. I would no. want him too. Mm. You're crazy. <laughs> I know. That's I think I'm, I think I am, but I wanted him for my. I want him for you, though. 
I can see this game tonight. Uh, this is my bold prediction, which will be completely wrong, and it'll end up being nil-nil. But I think this could be like a six-goal shared thriller. <laughs> yeah, Do you the, not think the, it at least make them a little bit more compact, and defensively they probably would concede a little bit less? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, Just definitely. on that level. And if you're looking at the United team that could start tonight, I think it could be... Uh, Greenwood, Matter, and Danny J- Daniel James Ugh. in the front three. It's not. It's not frightening. You should be going to Old Trafford <laughs> and and be being scared. But that's not scary. And this is a huge chance for us. And I totally agree. They they should uh, set up to just to avoid conceding and and uh, they should they should have enough up front to nick a goal. Um, I I don't think uh, the, those defenders you mentioned. Um, I I I doubt that all three. Maybe one might come in. Um, it would be a bit scary to throw them in at Old Trafford, especially it? against like. So you've got um, if Arsenal play that front three of Pepe, uh, Lacazette, and I think Lacazette might be out. Is he right? No, that's a shame. Well, whoever they've got, it's a shame. Yeah, Pepe and uh, whoever is on the left will have loads of fun because United's fullbacks get so high up the pitch yeah, yeah, yeah. to give them width, and then because the the midfield is weird and there's a lot of space between them and there's not a lot of pace or energy there so uh, I think they'll be able to win the ball quite easily in midfield and knock it forward towards the top lads up front and it could just be goal centre One other thing on Arsenal over to Sam Dean Unai Emery has finally confirmed his five captains for the new season with Granit Xhaka taking the armband on a permanent basis following the departure of Laurent Koscielny this summer uh, Xhaka was very much the expected choice. He's been captaining the team throughout the campaign so far and even writing the programme notes before home matches. So there was no surprise there. But uh, among the five, the vice-captain will now be Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who is really seen as a, a leader within the dressing room and is is sort of one of the most loved players there in terms of his approach to the young players and helping people out. So there's not much for shock there. Alongside Aubameyang, we've got Hector Bellerin, one of the longest-serving players at the club. And... Uh, you know, Arsenal man through and through, having been there for so long. Alex Lacazette's also in the group, and Meza Ozil maintains his role within Emery's five-man leadership group. But there was a vote for this uh, among the players. Emery wanted to get the points of view from the players on who they should pick. Um, I, I think that's quite interesting and quite reasonable. Some Arsenal fans, as you would expect, have reacted quite angrily to that, saying he's not decisive enough, but that's one for people to discuss, perhaps. But... Um, the fact that Xhaka was voted for by the players as well as being Emery's first pick, I think, says quite a lot. And even though he's not perhaps the most popular player among the fans, he clearly is a natural leader. And for those of us who've covered Arsenal for a little while now, there was no surprise at all that, that Xhaka was the man who got the armband. So Granite Xhaka is their new captain. Some raised eyebrows amongst the fans. Um but as ever with captaincy, should anyone care? No one cares in <laughs> Europe, do they, Mina, about who's the captain? I don't know. It depends on the team that you're talking about. I think it matters. Uh, it's, it sometimes matters a lot to the fans. And I do think once you... In Italy, we do. Perhaps not this level, but it needs to be somebody who has the character to motivate you, to be the leader on the pitch, to be the guy that you turn to when everything falls apart. And he's happy to take that pressure on. And and I think that it's a little strange to choose to make Shaka a captain when... Perhaps you shouldn't really judge things based on the fans, but they seem to really dislike this man. Um, uh, but then when you turn around, who would you give it to? Yeah, I don't know. I agree. And I think Jack is the best best man for it. But um, there's a weird thing in England of wanting a homegrown person to be the captain uh, just because as if they're going to have more like passion and grit and heart. Maybe than, someone who grew up in the youth academy. Maybe I get will that. It, would it matter to... Bellerin more than it would uh, to Shaka. Yeah, this is the the question. That's what I think is. I do think that there's a, a lot of element of nostalgia about things and, and the way that we think about things. And it's like now all you hear about is, oh, why did we sell Lukaku and who is the things that we're concerned about. I'm just like last year, you guys were dying to get rid of Lukaku. You know, the win percentage, you know, things like that. Sorry, I don't know why I just everyone, everyone thinks it's FIFA. Like, everyone thinks you just buy people and they come in. There's no like <laughs> appreciation of how they're human people. Yeah, it's it's strange. The whole thing is so strange. And also, you they have short memories when it comes to things as well. Yes, absolutely. Should we look ahead to the Champions League, which is taking place this week? Uh, Spurs have Bayern Munich at home. Have they got a chance, Ali? Yeah, I think so. Um Tottenham have beaten some good teams at home in the Champions League uh, over the last few years. I don't think they'll be scared by Bayern. Bayern obviously a very good team, but um, 
I think they just edged past Paderborn, who are bottom of the Bundesliga um, away on the weekend. Uh, so yeah, I think the atmosphere at uh, the Spurs Stadium uh, should should give Tottenham the edge. They they need to win at their home games because uh, as they saw as we saw against Olympiacos, can't be relied on on the road. I think that um, I know that you're saying that about Paderborn. They do sort of. They actually did dominate possession, especially in the first half. They are quite bad at sometimes letting teams nick goals, and that's something they really need to look at. But I think this is a great chance. I, I think it's Coutinho. He's playing really well at the moment for Bayern Munich. If you can just take him out and take out Serge Gnabry, then I feel like you'll have a great shot. But those two guys are really making the difference. Man City at home to Dinamo Zagreb. Foregone conclusion, JJ? <laughs> <laughs> I like that phrase. Uh, you think so? yeah. Yeah, big big thrashing or just solid win. Uh, I mean, having watched Dinamo Zagreb for about ten minutes um, on Scout, I would say they're actually better than uh, than I thought they were. But I would still imagine that City will have way more than enough. For I'm sure. Them. I'm sure that was Pep's preparation as well. About ten minutes. So he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be fine. Yeah, uh, what about Liverpool versus uh, Energy Drink Salzburg? Um, <laughs> Big, uh, is there much excitement about seeing Haaland at Anfield, Mina? Are we looking forward to that? Uh, he's down, actually. Oh, no. Yeah, no. He's, uh, oh. he's sick, and they've got the doctor visiting him every day, and they really hope that he's going to make it. Um, but that is genuinely I think he's so desperate to make it. I know, 19-year-old kid, you know, the, the future, perhaps. Um, he's really exciting to watch, obviously. Um, it's strange actually because if you look at him, he he was he's been labelled a man child because you know he he is a, a very sort of imposing long. figure. He's, he's massive and has quite a young face. Yeah, but yeah. he's actually really good with his feet. He's very he's he's good technically. I think that he has the mind of a veteran, very very well composed. Doesn't seem to ever get overwhelmed by the pressure. Juventus were desperate to get him actually, and he said, you know, like I'd really like to join a huge team, um, but I also feel like I'm never going to get a chance to play. So I'm going to choose Salzburg. I'm going to give a chance to, to a team that's going to let me play often and so I can improve. And I feel like that shows you that he's quite mature for his age. So definitely one to watch. I hope he's actually there when, when, you know, when the game comes. Let's hope so. And finally, Chelsea are away at Lille. This feels like quite a big one for them, Ali, especially with two games against Ajax coming up. Yeah, um, it, it did seem like a tough group uh, for Chelsea and it's got a lot tougher with uh, that loss to Valencia. Um yeah, they definitely need to. They need to be beating Lille home and away, probably. But Lille are a good side of these. Good side these days. Very young, very vibrant. Joe very, Cole Derby. The Joe Cole Derby, as, <laughs> as it is known. Not not Eden Hazard, maybe. No, come on, come on. He is, but they are very good at home, Lille. They're not that good away from home. Very good at home, and they've got this great Nigerian uh, forward at the moment who's just making all the headlines. Victor Osim, Osimhen, and he. It's, I think he's one of the best purchases because he can't stop scoring at the moment. A lovely taste of the Iberian Peninsula as we reach a song for Europe. The Madrid derby in La Liga finished nil-nil, Mina. A bit disappointing? I don't think so. I thought that oh, it you was love a nil-nil, of course. Yeah, I do. I, I thought it was an interesting game. I, I don't think it was boring at any stretch of the imagination. I think everyone was desperate to watch this considering what happened in the ICC. I know no, no one takes this uh, pre-season <laughs> just friendly. leave it, Mina. But, <laughs> <laughs> Stop yeah. trying to make the ICC happen. <laughs> Can I just tell you, it's all they spoke about in Spain just because the, the scoreline was 7-3. So it was like such a thrash, uh, such a thrashing by Diego Simeone. They actually wrote poems about the facial expressions of Zidane during that match at the time because it was like, oh my God, my team is Real Madrid and they're completely poems? being ripped apart by Jao Felix. Yeah, they said it was poetry. His, oh, okay. His face. And, and then they started talking. I mean, people took it to new levels of exaggeration. So I think everyone was There once was, was like, a man called Joe Felix. <laughs> <laughs> there once was a man called Joe Felix who caused Zidane all types of horror. Anyway, so I think... <laughs> <laughs> you did well to leave that. Uh, I did, did, I did. It wasn't going to good um, And uh, so I think there was a lot riding on this because everyone wants to see whether Real Madrid is going to crash, you know. And they, they've been doing... Well, in the league, I mean, they, they obviously managed against Sevilla to win in a game they haven't won in ages and they didn't even allow Sevilla a shot on goal. And then they were brilliant against Osasuna and it was like, can they keep it up against Atletico? And I thought that they played very well. I thought Atletico played very well as well. Their midfield was fantastic to watch. Yeah, it was a nil-nil, but it was a very good nil-nil. What about Barcelona, Mina, uh, Suarez, whistled by their fans. Um, have, they, have they fallen out of love slightly with him? 
I'm not entirely sure that they were ever in love with him, if I'm honest, actually. Um, it seems like I don't think that he was ever sort of taken on board and, and adored in the way that deserve, he deserves, considering he's, what, the fifth top scorer for Barcelona overall. When he arrived, um, he's always a little bit of a slow starter in the league. And when he arrived, they labeled him with, and they so they sort of called him fat, um, not really in the right shape for Barcelona. There was a lot of people wondering whether he just felt like now he'd reached the promised land. It was the club that he'd always wanted to join, obviously for reasons to do with his wife. That you know now that he'd arrived, was he going to be as passionate? But he's always keeps scoring goals. Valverde's had to come to his defense so many times because he doesn't necessarily do much. Like I think it was last year or the year before in his first 11 games, he only scored four goals and then he sort of takes off. So he's always slow. He always gets booed. But this is what happens in Spain. I mean, Di Stefano was booed. Everyone is booed, you know, like you have to just sort of deal with it and then he'll come good, hopefully. That's what football's all about. What about in Germany? Bayern Munich's Uli Honus intimating that he would withdraw Bayern players from the German team if... Joachim Love dropped Manuel Neuer. Is that allowed? No, but I mean, that whole thing, like sometimes the stuff that Huna says, like, I just don't understand what these, you know, what he's honestly thinking about saying that. That whole thing just got, Ter Stegen is allowed to say, I really thought that I was going to play more often. He's been fantastic, you know, absolutely legendary in goal. And he deserves to be given more of a chance. And Manuel Neuer is like, well, he shouldn't be talking about these things. It's only because it's your position you don't want to lose. And then you're getting your whole team now on board to be like, well, if you take him off, then we're not going to allow any of you to take our teams. Oliver Bierhoff came off, uh, came out and just said, well, they, they can't do anything about it. I mean, you know, we're Germany if we want we want to play, we want to play it. So, and Hunas was like, listen, if I, his spokes, I think it was his spokesperson that came out and said, I think if he had a chance to do that interview again, he, he would do it differently. And I think that he's understood what he went wrong with his comments and a little bit like, uh, we were not going to discuss this anymore. So let's just move on. Okay. Well, we will also move on and discuss Juventus and Inter who play each other next weekend. Biggest game of the year so far in Syria. Of the year? Oh, I don't know about that, but it is going to be one of, I mean, Serie has so exciting. I know that we always start off with talking about all these other leagues, but it's Antonio Conte, it's um, Alexis Sanchez. It was a, a fantastic game because Sanchez came on. Uh, he started his first game because Lukaku was rested for the Champions League. And then he scored a goal. Another goal was deflected off him. Then he tried to get a third goal and dive and, you know, simulated basically got sent off. It was all so exciting. So now he's not going to be available for the Derby d'Italia. Um, so I, I think he's... Uh... I thought the best thing about this game was that Sanchez claimed that first goal. It was a shot that was going into the goal. It took a really small deflection off him and he ran away like it was his <laughs> off his back, off his back. And he ran away, sort of looked at Sensi like... Can I do this? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, yeah, I'm going to do it. But <laughs> Sensi, I think, I think we need to discuss Sensi in many ways because I think he's just so the fulcrum of the slide. He's a kid that came uh, came in. Everyone's been talking about Federico Chiesa, Federico Chiesa, and of course, Zaniolo from Roma. But then this kid's come in, integrated so well into Inter, and he's running the show from midfield. He's the guy that should have really gotten the goal because his shot was actually on target. But Inter is such an exciting prospect under Antonio Conte, and you don't know what to make of Juventus. Because Juventus look like they can sometimes score seven goals and sometimes just look like they really can't be bothered with the fight. So. Struggled against my Hellas Verona, didn't they, Mina? They made a good go of it. Are they now your Hellas Verona? Oh, I love Hellas Verona. <laughs> what a great bunch. Actually, what's neutral interesting. journalist Tom Gitch. <laughs> <laughs> what's interesting about Juventus is that they say that they have two faces, you know, because I think their best performances this season has been sort of uh, against Napoli. They were very good against Atletico, except for the end where they conceded two goals. <laughs> but um, they seem to be a lot more interested and bothered when it comes to the big teams. And then when they face smaller sides, ones that aren't so good, Tom, like Hellas Verona, oh, they seem come to on. sort of mean. just think, yeah, we're, we're not that bothered. <laughs> so I don't know. I just think they're more up for a challenge when it's, you can see where both are when, when next week in the Derby, uh, in the Derby Italia. Let's finish off by talking about the mighty Bromley, who lost to Yeovil Town slightly tragically on Saturday. But most excitingly in this match, the referee Aaron Johnson sent off all of Yeovil's ball boys. And I would like to know what this the strangest sending off you've ever seen, Ali Tweedy. But can I just say I'm totally up for this, by the way. Ball boys that don't get the ball back quickly are really annoying. I'm totally up for them being sent off. Um, I don't know about the weirdest sending off, but... Um, 
one that became quite weird was when Arsene Wenger got sent off at Old Trafford uh, for kicking a bottle and then got made to stand on a big platform surrounded by United fans. He's really tall, so he probably stands out at the worst of times and then just, uh, yeah, just... um, just got shouted at by loads of uh, really close <laughs> Man United fans. Felt felt a bit sorry for him then. How about you, JJ? Weirdest ever red card? Uh, just loads of these examples. There was one in Scotland with uh, uh, Mark McGee got sent off when he was manager of I think Motherwell, and then got put into the stands at Petodrie, and then people were filming him, and that was uh, the language is not something I can repeat on the podcast, but it's very it was very entertaining. <laughs> also, I mentioned my Nigel Pepper story often, but that is you know, the guy who was subbed on then off. He was sent off after ten seconds of being on the pitch. I always remember there was a uh, sending off in football nightmares. No, football hell. Remember the Nick Hancock videos? The VHS, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't on that. It was a highlight on that show. <laughs> but on the video, there's Paul Lynch, who was, when he's playing for Inter Milan, he was standing in the penalty area. And uh, so I don't know who this guy is. I should really have found that out. But he stands next to him, looks where the referee is, and then something goes down holding his face. Oh, yeah. like going, ah! And then he's going, what's happened? And he gets told a red card. And he still, I, I bet to this day, he still doesn't fully understand what happened. Manucci does that a lot, just falls over and tries to get a red card for someone. What have you got, Mina? Weirdest red card? Um, actually, I'm going to ask you a different question. Okay, right? fine. Just because fine. I'm, I'm that type of person. But I think the weirdest red card not given was, I don't know if you ever remember that match between Atletico and Barcelona. And Arda Turan was playing for Atletico and he got very, very upset. Oh my God, this with is the, amazing. With the, line, with the linesman. Do you remember that? And he took off his shoe <laughs> and threw it at him. Oh, <laughs> And I just can't believe that he managed to stay on the pitch. And I, and they kept saying, and what I loved at the time was the commentator, because the commentator is obviously English when they were talking about this. And he's saying, well, I, I don't know, did the shoe fall off? And, and in my head, I'm like, if you guys ever have met anyone from that side of the world where I've like lived and understood, yeah, <laughs> taking off your shoe and throwing it is a sign of anger. So believe <laughs> yeah. me, he knew exactly what he was doing. But that, for me, was probably one of my favourite moments in football. Do not do that in the Middle East, would be my advice. That's your lot for this week. Hope you've enjoyed the show on National Podcast Day. Apparently not made up. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before next week. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Our email address, we welcome your correspondence, is afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. Don't worry, if you email us, we'll read it out if it's good. Don't forget to subscribe to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Just type those words into the place where you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 